We're uh, going to be finishing up our series that has been inspired by the 250th anniversary of the hymn Amazing Grace. Now, I didn't really preach on the hymn. I just uh, thought about passages of Scripture that it brought to mind and preached on those. But uh, I invite you to stand together as we consider tonight a message, No Less Days, and I'll be reading from John chapter 14 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. May God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. You may be seated. Uh, The last verse of the hymn Amazing Grace, as I told you last week, was not written by John Newton originally. It was added along the way. And we don't really know who wrote it. It became a part of a hymnal when the hymn was published some years ago. Part of its popularity was attributed to the fact that it was published in a shape note hymnal. And uh, you'd have to be my age or a little bit older to know what the shape notes even meant. Uh, Because that's, uh, for the most part, uh, uh, something that has passed from the scene in more recent times. But uh, as it was published and as it became popular, this last verse that we all know so well actually became one of the most popular. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we've first begun. And that is what brought to mind our passage tonight in John chapter 14, uh, A very well-beloved passage on its own. We hear this passage preached at a lot of funerals. I've done it myself. Uh, But folk, this is just as true on Sunday night (laughs) as it is at a funeral service. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus gives us some amazing information in that passage about the place and the house and the mansions. And just talking about what John Newton was talking about when he said, we've been there. Where's there? Well, that's our heavenly home. When we've been there and uh, in 10,000 years, yeah, we've no less days. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Everlasting. Doesn't that have a great ring to it? Everlasting. Everlasting. Everlasting life. Now, that's what we would call a positive statement. He that heareth my word and believes on him that sent me hath everlasting life present tense you're not going to get it someday you've got it right now hath 
everlasting life. Why do you have that? Because you believed on Jesus Christ. You heard the word. That's the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. You heard the word. You believed. And therefore, you have everlasting life. That's a positive statement. And as if that wasn't enough, he then asserts it negatively. And shall not come into condemnation. The word condemnation speaks of the righteous judgment of God against sin. That's what we faced before we heard the gospel, before we believed, and before Jesus Christ gave us everlasting life. So that's where we were. Jesus said that to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Whosoever believeth not is what? Already condemned. Because he has not believed on the name of the everlasting Son of God. So the condemnation was there. That's where we were. Before we heard the power of the gospel. That is the power of God unto salvation. Before we responded to that gospel. Under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. So that we believed and were saved. We have everlasting life. But oh by the way. (laughs) That's quite a by the way isn't it? You shall not come into condemnation in a practical way. You know what that means? It means you're not going to get lost again. It means you're saved. And you're not going to go back into that state where you were under condemnation. We call that, theologically speaking, the eternal perseverance of the saints. And that is that we're saved. We're saved forever. We have everlasting life. And will not come under condemnation. I hear people say it every now and then. I, I don't know how you Baptists believe in once saved, always saved. But let me tell you something tonight. It's not a Baptist thing. People believed this long time before there was a people known as Baptists. It's not a Baptist thing. It's a Bible thing. And I don't understand how anybody can read John 5, 24 and come up with anything else. It's hard to get around. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And we've been there 10,000 years. Yeah, we're we're just started. Uh, I know, I know some of you more technically thinking people are sitting out there saying, now, wait a minute, you know, time ain't going to mean nothing to us up there. I understand. I understand that. You're exactly right if you're thinking that. Uh, We go into eternity and time is no longer. We can't imagine that. But I can't wait to preach when time don't mean nothing anymore. What a day that will be. (laughs) I'm ready. Jesus then defined life eternal. And this is life eternal, he said. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You see, eternal condemnation is for those who don't know God. Don't know Jesus Christ. They don't have no relationship with him. As Jesus would say it, there'll be many who would stand before me in that day. Talking about all the good works they had done. And yet Jesus will say, depart from me. Why? I never knew you. Eternal life. 
It's when we know him and he knows us. When we know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is life eternal. Tonight we're going to focus our attention in spite of the title, No Less Days. Yes, we'll have eternity there, but we need to know more about there. Where's the there? When you've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as a sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Let's talk about the there. And that's where John 14 comes in. Remember, this is set on the last night before Jesus was crucified. Remember, his disciples were arguing. Imagine a situation where somebody maybe is on their deathbed, facing death in just a moment. And while they're lying there dying, their children or other family members are crowded around them arguing over who's going to get their stuff. Imagine that. I hope you have to imagine it and you've never been around to watch it. I wish I could say I'd never seen that happen, but I have seen it happen. I've had to break up fights at more than one funeral. And when I did, I told them, just stop this. Stop it. Get a little bit aggravated. Stop this. The instruction that Jesus gives in John chapter 14 and verse 1 is kind of worded that way. might not carry the sense of anger, but it certainly is an imperative. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus said, stop letting your hearts be troubled. Their hearts were troubled over all the wrong things at that moment in time. And Jesus tells them to stop. Granted, the disciples were confused. What Jesus was talking about in promising his impending death and suffering death, his rejection by the Jews, it challenged everything they believed about his kingdom. Right up until the very end, they were expecting Jesus uh, to overthrow the Romans, maybe call down a few legions of angels or at least one or two. And wipe out the Romans and usher in his kingdom right there on the spot. Right up to the very end, they were looking for that. What had been promised by the prophets. And though he had also promised a suffering substitute, right up to the very end, they were, they were thinking, this, this is it. Maybe we can identify a little bit tonight with the disciples. Because there are times in our own life when we face things and And God doesn't respond the way we think he should or the way we thought he would. Maybe we were confident that God was going to do something in this way and then he did something altogether different. And it leaves us feeling confused. I don't understand. And so in this passage, Jesus specifically sets their faith against their difficulties, their troubles He still does. He still does. Perhaps the psalmist David said it best long ago in Psalm 27 and 13 when he said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed 
<laughs> what a great statement that is. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What a great song. Many times in your life and mine, we would have lost heart had it not been that we believed in the goodness of God. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ calls on us to keep believing. Let not your heart be troubled, he said. You believe in God and literally keep on believing in God and keep on believing in me. Keep believing in God and keep believing in me. They had already believed, but they were facing some challenges. Some of those were in fulfillment of prophecy. Long ago, the the prophets had foretold that the shepherd would be smitten and the sheep would scatter. Jesus himself would, have, would, would uh, prophesy about this. All of you shall be offended because of me. Dead stood through him through many things in the past. Our mind goes back to the time when Jesus talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Symbolic statements they were. They should have known that. Cannibalism strictly forbidden in Scripture. There was no way they could eat blood or drink blood or eat flesh. They couldn't do that. He's speaking figuratively of how they would receive him by faith. They should have known that. But Jesus went from a crowd that could not hardly be numbered, just a, a, an incredible crowd of thousands of people and all of a sudden, he looked around, and there were these guys. When he asked them, would you also go away? We're so proud of Simon Peter's response on that occasion. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. They had stood through Jesus through many things. Stood with Jesus through many things, but... Now Jesus tells them, all of you are going to be offended. And there was. They had a lot ahead of them. And so Jesus, knowing their faith was going to be tested, said, you keep on believing. You keep on believing in God. You keep on believing in me. There's no place where our faith is more imperative than when facing the reality of death. And what comes after death. We believe in heaven because we believe in God. We believe in heaven because we believe in Jesus. To refuse to believe in God the Father or God the Son is to refuse to accept heaven. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Keep on believing. That's the instruction. Then he picks up the information side. We love both sides of this. It's great instruction. Keep on believing in God. Keep on believing in me. Let not your heart be troubled. Sure, we, we love that. But we love also the information. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know, Jesus speaks first of all of my Father's house. 
my father's house. The Old Testament in this time uh, had the temple of God in Jerusalem. The chief feature of this was a room portioned off from the rest by a thick curtain called the veil. It was known inside as the Holy of Holies or the holiest of all. It was the house, the dwelling place in their mind of God. It contained the famous Ark of the Covenant where the high priest went to make an atonement for the people. Now the writer of Hebrews tells us that this Old Testament temple was just a pattern, a figure of what was the true house of God. And that true house of God, of course, is in heaven. It's the chief feature of heaven, the throne of God. One writer pointed out that heaven is called a land or a country. And a name is given to it. The name is Beulah, uh, which, by the way, means my husband. And it is called Beulah land because of its citizenry. It's called a paradise and because of its beauty. It's called a city because of its inhabitants. And it's called a house because of its family. It is the place you see where God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit will gather to work together with all of God's people, His family, brothers and sisters in Christ. In my mind, it's not hard for me to think of a house where our family is gather, gathered. Uh, for me, I will think immediately of the house that I, for the most part, grew up in. All the way back to 1967 or 68, somewhere around in there when it was built. Uh, that was the house where we all gathered up as long as mom and dad were living there. and Oh, we had a lot of good times there. Sometimes we'd gather up at my dad's parents and that was just right next door to us. And sometimes we'd gather there and that was the place. But more times than not, when we gathered up around my dad's side of the family, that was at our house. And I still have fond memories of that place. I, I think about the house of my mother's family, the Harvey house uh, down around Taylor. Mother was one of 13 kids and uh, nine that were raised to adulthood. It was nothing special about that house. It was made from hand-hewn cypress logs that were cut in the door cheap bottoms and drug out and put together by hand. Papa built it. And most of the house is still standing as long as I live, it will be a place I associate with gatherings of my family. That's uh, what I remember the most about it. It's whether we, where we gathered up and gathered around that big old table, uh, you know, and you remember, it, or you remember things like that as a child. So it seemed like that table was about 10 foot high and 40 foot long. Y'all remember that? You know, I, at, at, when I saw it later in life, I thought, man, that table is not near as big as I remembered it to be. Uh, it's amazing how memory changes as time goes on. Uh, so it was a place where we gathered up. It was a place where I got a lot of whippings. Uh, you have that many cousins together. There's going to be uh, there's going to be a whooping before the day is over. It just it's going to happen. I remember it being like a young town, fond gatherings of that family. I guess because I was a part of a family, and I have a big family. We just had a big family gathering over Christmas. It's uh, 
why I like it best when Jesus talks about heaven as being my father's house. It's a big, big house. (laughs) It has lots and lots of room. There's a family gathering that's already going on there in spirit. Writer of Hebrews speaks of the spirits of just men made perfect. It boggles the mind to think of how all of God's family is going to gather up. But the Bible says we will. Believe God. Believe me. Heaven is like my father's house. Then he calls attention to the dwelling places. We know them better as the mansions. It's used in only one other place in the New Testament, and that's John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. There it is. The same word translated mansion in John chapter 14. He uses again in verse 23. And it's called our home. Our home. You did notice, of course, that there's only one house and one home. Uh, Not multiples. Not going to be a Baptist house and a Methodist house. and Not going to be any of that. Not going to be an Old Testament house and a New Testament. There's one house, one home. And all of God's people are going to gather there. Uh, we like to sing about how we're going to get a mansion over the hilltop and uh, we'll all have our own little isolated place. But that's not really the picture that Jesus gives us as one house, one home with many dwelling places. Um, we see a picture of it in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to preach about that tonight, but uh, it is pictured as a, a cube. It is the same. Uh, we're given the dimensions, length, breadth, and height, and it's It's humongous. So we'll dwell together, and there's plenty of room. We're told then that it's like my father's house, it's mansions, it's dwelling places, one house, one home. I don't know much about what heaven's going to look like. The Bible gives us some depictions of that. But I'm, I'm going to tell you something about heaven based on what Jesus said in this passage. The minute that we get in, however we get there. And that means that we'll either die and our bodies will go to the ground and our spirit will go to God because that's what the Bible teaches. And we'll be with the Lord. Or we'll hear the shout and quicker than that we'll be gone and God will simply put aside all those rules of time and space and physics he wrote all those laws he put them in place and held them in place by his power and there's going to come a time when he's going to suspend them all and quicker than the speed of thought we'll find ourselves with the lord in the air and we'll be going home either way there's something we can say by what jesus said in this passage when we get there It's going to feel like home. Don't know everything about heaven, but I know this much. It's going to feel like home. 
You say, well, if it's such a great place, then why am I in such a hurry to get there? Even country music stars ask that, song, ask that question. Uh, uh, if it's so great, then why don't we want to go? Well, you know what? In your life, there'll come a time when you'll get ready to go. There will. It'll happen in my life, too. Uh, but God doesn't give us what we call dying grace for living. God gives that for dying. There'll come that moment. And you can say like the Apostle Paul said, I'm ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I'm ready to go. It does happen for God's people. It'll happen for me. Uh, personally, I pray that if I have to die, I'd just soon go to sleep and wake up in heaven. Anybody else here like that? No? Just say, good night, Lord. I'll see you in the morning. I <laughs> wake up. There we are. He, he speaks of the, of the house, the, the home. He also speaks of the place. I've told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also. He mentions the place. Many other writers, including this one, I have written about it and preached about it. That Jesus invokes imagery here. That would have been well familiar to any reader as uh, being based on the Jewish wedding ceremony where the bridegroom would come and take the bride and take her back then to a place that he had prepared for her. Jewish weddings were not built around the bride. They were built around the bridegroom. And... Uh, I, I can't definitively say that that was what Jesus was speaking of in this passage, but I can say that it does correlate to the Jewish wedding practices, and I believe they would have associated it that way. The point was that there was a place that he was going to prepare. Now, in the Jewish wedding, the wedding couldn't take place until the place was ready. Wedding could not happen until the place was finished. That was a smart thing. <laughs> that guy that was all ready to get ready to get married and ready to have his bride, well, they figured he'd work a lot harder getting that place ready. And I'm sure that that's exactly right. They did. And by the way, it was the bride's father who had to pass muster on it and sign off on it and say yeah it's good enough it's ready Jesus told us that he was going to make a place for us so that we could enjoy his uninterrupted presence forever and Paul affirmed that in 1 Thessalonians when he said so shall we ever be with the Lord the last piece of information he gave us is the way whether I go, you know, in the way, you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we don't know where thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If anybody asks us tonight which way is heaven, we'd almost always point upward. And uh, we'd be pointing by doing that opposite of hell, which the Bible says is at the center of the earth. I have no reason to believe that's figurative. 
and so we point away from the center of the earth. And I really don't bother myself understanding that when I point up, I'm pointing opposite from the folks down under in Australia. They, they can deal with that in their own theology. I know which way heaven is. It's, it's up. Uh, and I also know it's north uh, because the Bible says it's out Mount Zion on the side of the north, the city of the great king. So I, I know it's somewhere north, past the North Star. But the directions for getting to heaven are very simple. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And to spell that out for us, Jesus told a teacher in Israel, a master in Israel, you must be born again. He told him that which is born of the flesh is flesh, telling him that a fleshly birth was not enough. That was big news for Nicodemus because it told him that being a child of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, was not enough to get him to heaven. It was not then. It is not today. They had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Your fleshly birth, whatever it was, is not enough to get you to heaven. You may have had Christian parents, believing parents. They may have dedicated you. They may have had you sprinkled when you were a baby. But that won't get you to heaven. If you were born in a Christian home, that won't get you to heaven. Uh, any more than being circumcised would get Nicodemus to heaven and being born in a, in a godly believing home. And, uh, Jesus still looked at him and said, you must be born again. You may have joined a church. You may have been baptized. But joining a church and being baptized won't get you to heaven. You may be living a good life, hoping that when you die, you'll be good enough. You won't. Let me answer that question for you. You won't. Jesus said, I am the way. Outside of him, there is no way into heaven. If there is one house, and there is, and there's, then there is one way. Jesus said that in John chapter 10 and verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Don't matter how many jokes there are to the contrary, you're not going to meet St. Peter when you go to heaven. That's, he's not going to be standing out there at the gate trying to decide whether he lets you in or not. There's only one door into heaven, and that door is Jesus Christ. How important is this? Well, Jesus told us a story in Luke chapter 16. The story of a rich man who died and went to hell. He didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he had never believed on Jesus Christ. Such a contradiction to those people in their day because they believed that riches were a sign of the blessings of God. They could not imagine, could not fathom of a rich man who would go to hell. That went against their theology. Uh, those rich men, uh, those riches were proof positive to them that they had a relationship with God and that God was blessing them and, and God had given them that abundance. But that rich man died and went to hell and a beggar died and lifted up his eyes in the paradise of God. Uh, Lazarus didn't go to heaven because he was a beggar and the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. The rich man went to hell because he had never believed in Jesus Christ. 
He had never trusted him as his Savior. And Lazarus went to heaven because he had. There is one house. There is one way. One door. Jesus Christ. If you're waiting until you die then to tell whether or not there is a heaven or whether there is a hell, it'll be too late. It'll be too late. This is an issue that you must settle now on this side of eternity. And I pray and I trust that you have settled that. I believe you're here tonight because you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've trusted him. And I I believe that's true of you. But I don't know. You know. And God knows. Some of you may think you know. But if you're trusting in yourself or trusting in some religious ritual to have made you right with God, then your faith is not founded on the truth of Scripture. There's only one way. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, salvation is is not a process. Just like uh, the new birth is compared to the physical birth. All of us have a birthday. You don't remember much about it. uh, But you know what your birthday is. And if you've been born again, you might not can remember what day it was. But you can remember when that happened. You can. You can remember when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you, as Paul put it in Romans chapter 10, when you called on the name of the Lord and you were saved. When you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, ask him to be your savior, and he did. And if you haven't had that experience, if you're just hoping that when you get to heaven, you'll squeak in, maybe by the seat of your pants, I'll just barely make it. No. No, you won't. It's hard for people to accept sometimes. Have I been so bad that I would deserve eternity in heaven? I haven't done nearly the things that some other people have done. I could understand why this one or that one or this one, why they'd go to hell. They Look at what they've done. They deserve it. But what have I done? You're thinking about it the wrong way. The reason why people go to hell is because Jesus Christ came as the embodiment of the love of God. He suffered the reproach and dignity, the terrible suffering of the cross as humanity poured out its rage against a righteous God. He took that contradiction of sinners against himself. He paid the price for your sins. To give you the promise that if you believe in me, if you call upon me, I will save you. On the basis of this, he is the propitiation for our sins. And if you've refused that, you have, as the writer of Hebrews said it, you have spurned the grace of God. You've counted the blood of the covenant to be an unholy thing. People go to hell. 
because they reject Jesus Christ and God's free offer of salvation. Don't make that move. If you haven't received him, you're living in that rejection right now. There's only one way to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are, then you can look forward to the words that John Newton pen didn't pen, but the words that were added to that song that he did write. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we've just begun. Everlasting life. Let's stand together, please.